exploring the culture, the adventure, and the impact of martial arts. That's what Kung Fu Podcast was built on. And I'm your host, T.W. Smith. Thank you so much for joining me today and allowing me to be part of your martial arts journey. If this is your first time to Kung Fu Podcast, welcome. You're in the audience of some of the finest and sharpest martial artists in the world. People that put in a great deal of sweat equity and care into their craft. For those of you who've been with me for a while, I greatly appreciate your patience. Even though Raleigh, North Carolina was not struck nearly as hard as many of our uh, coastal brethren, there are still a lot of things that we're just recovering from. Uh, Not so much about getting around, but for example, uh, taking things and preparing for in case of flood. So you take everything and you get anything that you actually want to keep up as high as you can. What just so happens yesterday was the first time I was actually able to get everything off my desk. And in all honesty, I had recorded a podcast about four or five days ago. But through all the transitions and things along those lines, trying to get my equipment back out, it got accidentally deleted. So it's okay. I decided I was just going to sit down, take my time, and put together what I believe is an important podcast on the origins of the self-defense mindset. Before I go there, I want to say thank you very much to each and every one of you that reached out to find out if we were doing okay, if our families were okay here during this storm. Many people are still without necessities and essentials in order to just get through of life, and uh, just some of the roads are just now getting passable in many areas right there on the coastline. And even though the roads aren't passable, it's not the sort of place you really want to go to unless you have to. There's a lot of contamination, sewage overran, uh, grave sites being flooded. There's all kinds of things that happen during those storms that uh, just cause all kinds of problems for months, if not years, afterwards. Now let's get ready to move into the meat of the program, the point of origin for interpreting your self-defense. This podcast is built around a Twitter-based dialogue. It began when my friend Ando Merzwa had shared part of his free self-defense courses on Twitter, which got my attention. Of course, I try to look at some of the things he puts out because I, I enjoy his work. Then I noticed that a gentleman that I've had several conversations with on Twitter, his name is Richard Betchlick, had made a comment regarding Ando talking about self-defense. Of course, I throw my two cents in and chime in, and then uh, Agent of Action Jamie Club does as well. Let me see if I can pull this up for you real quick. Richard had stated, I like hearing you talk with Stephen Kesting about self-defense options for older people. I learned recently that I can't stand and bang with much younger, stronger, bigger guys and expect to finish uninjured. Under responds, glad you like it, sir. Is an important topic, not just for the old, but for anyone smaller and weaker. I mean, that's what the whole point of self-defense is, right? What to do when the odds are against you, capitalized against you, not when you're an elite athlete on equal footing. Thank you. That's where I put my little two cent in, where I write, that's a perfect reminder. It's hard to claim self-defense when you're actually under no disadvantage. Then, as always, Jamie Club, who you can find on most of his social media, at Club Chimera, writes this in. I think my current bugbear in the martial arts world 
is the way that so many forget that self-defense, or defense, is a legal term and not a style or system. It is a clear definition, and everything else put under that heading has to use this as their starting point. That became fodder for me because it made me think about some of the other things we've talked about here on the program and other things that we've discussed, whether you're uh, listening to Ian Abernathy, Peter Constantine, and over the World Combat Association, being clear that many times martial artists will interpret their self-defense as a style. And as Jamie said, not a legal definition that you need to be aware of. What does it mean legally in your country, in your state? Also, it's easy to see that many will interpret their mindset and responses as if they are on equal footing. Or as Ian Abernathy likes to say, this is consensual. There are also other times, and maybe just because of my generation growing up watching cowboy shows, that the context to which the martial arts self-defense is put in is kind of like, uh, old-timey Western movie, you know, where the guy walks in, cha-ching, cha-ching. They're playing poker, drinking whiskey, you know, talking, and all of a sudden, one, you cheated. You dealt off the bottom, boy. And the other one says, I never did such a thing. All of a sudden, one gets up in there, is pushing and shoving. So these two guys, after drinking and playing poker and accusing each other of cheating, face off in an old-timey cowboy Western. And then I'm going to do this, and you're going to do that, and blah, 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 blah. And to be honest, that's not the paradigm that I usually think of when I'm thinking of self-defense. Most of the time when I'm teaching self-defense, I'm thinking of, oh, crap. And it's very clear why. Because criminals, the real reasons that you're going to be practicing self-defense is because this criminal believes that they have a clear advantage. There is plenty of good clinical research and as well as good interviews that demonstrate criminals operate with several fears in mind. The fears of getting hurt, the fears of managing their jail time. But the number one fear, which is universal against anyone committing a criminal act, is the fear of getting caught. As Professor Stanton Samenow, who is considered an expert in criminal behavior, he's written several books. I have even reached out to him to invite him to come on the program. He's about 74, 75 years old now, and as far as I can tell, he's still teaching. But he writes, and it's very clear, quote, I have been conducting psychological evaluations of offenders for 46 years. Not once have I found an offender in any way, shape, or form desire to get caught. He continues writing, for the most part, criminals plan every move while premeditating crimes. They calculate what will transpire from the moment they conceive of a crime until after they make their getaway. They know the occupational hazards of crime, getting caught, convicted, confined, injured, or killed in a high-risk crime. By the time a criminal is prepared to enact the crime, he is certain he will succeed and has eliminated these deterrents from consideration, End quote. So these criminals that we're trying to prepare ourselves for, and sometimes under this mindset that it's going to be, you know, an equal consensual type of combat, is not considering that they have thought about everything in it 
the number of people that they're going to be working with, the weapons that they carry, the ground that they choose to attack on, the very timing, for example, the shock and awe approach, or as you bend down to put the keys inside the car. Every bit of it has been clearly worked through in their mind to eliminate every advantage that you may have and give it to them. So if you start all of your self-protection training with the idea that you are Obi-Wan Kenobi and can see all that happens, then your training, as self-defense goes, has this massive hole in it. Roy Miller, for example, has excellent drills. Somebody who I could highly recommend to just study his work, look at what he does. Of course, I would always recommend Ian Abernathy. His app is just packed with stuff. Check that thing out. Jamie Club has books, and he is very, very good. If you need information on how to work with kids in self-protection, that's the man you need to go to. And Ando has put together his own free course. There's four or five right there that can help you pull out of the holes in your practice as far as self-defense goes. The other thing I like to recommend is getting used to, because of my sports background, is practice with a disadvantage. I've told many of my students the story that one of the hardest wrestling matches I ever had was when I was going to wrestle a young man and come to find out he was blind. So I had to start the match a little differently where you reach out and you just touch fingertips. And that young man worked me over like nobody you could ever imagine. It was like being touched by somebody who had this extra sense. And all of a sudden, as soon as he touched your fingertips, he knew everything about you, where your weight was, how your head was tilted, everything. I would encourage you to occasionally practice with something over your eyes or maybe one of those glasses that have just a few holes in it so that your vision isn't 100%. Practicing being in a disadvantaged situation was something that I remember very clearly practicing both in college football and all through high school because you would have to, for example, practice holding your ground or trying to split a double team where two guys were going to attack you as part of their strategy. Practicing being aware of crackback blocking, somebody sneaking up beside you, for example, a tight end coming down the line. Or misdirection, that was also a big one. These were part of your practice to get used to being at a disadvantage but still working through it. You had to know that they were going to try to create an advantage for themselves and put you at a disadvantage if it gave them an upper hand. Criminals do exactly the same thing. So, for example, uh, practice on the stairs. You're on the bottom step. You can imagine that there's somebody there below you and that there's someone there above you. The only way to get out is to get through. Occasionally practice in blue jeans or whatever type of clothes you might normally be in. As I've mentioned before in a previous podcast, get outside. Practice on the wet grass, for example, wet straw. Around here in North Carolina, wet pine straw is common. You might practice your kata or forms out on wet boards like a dock or a pier or wet concrete like a beer-soaked sidewalk. Something else that I like to do, especially on the padded floor, is that we will put obstructions on the floor. So, for example, you throw three or four fitness balls out there, all of a sudden the potential of tripping is something that you have to consider. Whatever you decide to do, be creative, but be realistic. We don't have a whole lot of time each day to practice, so you don't want to use it and not have the opportunity to get things done that are important to you. You might consider practicing as if you were hobbled, twisted ankle, busted knee, or you only have access to one arm, where basically maybe you jammed one up. 
You got stabbed, hit with a bat. Something with that arm is not available to you. One of my students who is recovering from a stroke, we go through standard fall training. Front falls, side falls, back falls, the whole lot of them. And she has to figure out how to practice her falls without access to her right arm or the majority of function of her right leg. And you know what? She is amazingly good at it now. It's taken a lot of practice, and we had quite a few near face plants in the beginning. But now she understands how to fall and roll and keep herself much, much safer because one of the dangers after a stroke is, of course, falling. She is amazing and motivating to myself and many of the other students. So to get the most out of your practice, remember that martial arts is styles and history and culture and exciting and adventures and things that I love. And they also help me become aware of myself and they teach me things that I wish I'd have known long before or I'd have learned how to adjust my behavior in different ways well before I did. Self-defense, on the other hand, is like Jamie Club said. That is a legal term, and there are things that go along with that. It stands separate from your martial arts in regards to how you are held accountable. You can practice your martial arts with play and thoughts and movies and all that kind of good stuff, but when you decide that you want to practice self-defense as part of your curriculum, you want to make sure that you consider being at a disadvantage. Train yourself to be aware of what you have and making swift decisions. You want to learn to act preemptively to make sure that you get to go home or the ones that you care about get to do so. I want to say thank you to Ando Merzwa, Ian Abernathy, as always. Thank you for reaching out, Ian. Jamie Club, who will be on the program soon. And as part of this program, I put together my PDF version of my slideshow that I share with that I call the Swift Decisions Self-Defense Course. When you log in over the website, Kung Fu Podcast, and you can get to this particular episode by going to kungfupodcast.com forward slash OSDM, Origins of Self-Defense Mindset. Take care of yourself, work hard. And I'll be talking with you again real soon.